Good morning, All Souls. Uh, it's a privilege to be with you this morning, this Sunday, and actually next Sunday as well uh, to open God's Word together. Uh, I know that a lot of you guys are interested and have been praying for the Springfield Church plant, and I really appreciate that. I'm encouraged by that. Uh, my wife and I are very much uh, in the process of transitioning down there to Springfield to plant the church. We, over the past month and a half, our house has been uh, kind of on the market. And just recently, within the last two weeks, uh, we have come under contract and then within a 24-hour period found a house down in Springfield that we're under contract with as well. And so I'm currently preaching from my basement and all around in our basement, we have boxes full of uh, books and just various things as we're kind of right in the throes of this packing process. So if you guys think of us um, over the next week or two, please continue to pray that the Lord would continue to open doors um, and pave the way for us to get down to Springfield. And uh, I'm grateful even as we launch out into this new church planning adventure to have people like Pastor Luke and Todd Doring on my uh, my temporary session and my team in my corner as we kind of move forward in ministry together. So I'm grateful to be here to open God's Word with you this morning. Um, definitely used to preaching in person, and so looking into a computer screen is a, is a bit different for me. So bear with me as we as we go through this. Let me go ahead and invite you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. We are going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, uh, but we're going to concentrate mainly on verses 5 and 6. As the Apostle Paul just begins to orient us to our union with Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul, he, he writes this great letter of Ephesians. He writes it from prison. Um, and we know that he writes it to the saints who are in Ephesus, just kind of the general saints. And we know that uh, he has... He has certainly spent a lot of time in Ephesus. He knows a lot of the leaders there, but he doesn't mention them by name. He just writes it to the saints as if, to, if, it's, as if it was to them in Ephesus and to us as the universal church down through the ages that he wants to communicate some really important truths. So today we consider the realities dealing with our union with Christ. And so I'm going to go ahead and read from Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 6. You can follow along with me. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'll continue in verse 7. So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask that you would guide us in our time today in your word. May it be profitable to our ears and our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illumine our hearts, that we would uh, 
we would really take in and understand the depth of this union with Christ and the implications of it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever wondered if you were switched at birth? I, I know that that is a, that's kind of an odd question to ask, but imagine a situation like this. Imagine, you know, you're growing up, your parents were maybe mean and critical in their disposition towards you, and you didn't really, you weren't that way. You were maybe kind and tenderhearted. Imagine your, you know, your parents uh, love sports or something like that, and they, they, uh, they had every athletic bone in their body, and you, on the other hand, you didn't have any athletic bone in your body or any propensity towards sports. And maybe they had hobbies and interests that you just didn't didn't share. And you begin to kind of take a step back and assess, you know, all these other things. And you come to the conclusion that you're willing to ask, are they really my parents? Imagine one day you're rummaging around in your upstairs attic, and you come across a treasure chest, and you think, I've never seen this treasure chest before. You open it up, and you discover that it's just full of papers and documents proving legally that you have been switched at birth. You know, a discovery like that, it would cause you to kind of reinterpret everything you knew about your life, where you came from, your source of identity and destiny, even the resources that are available to you because of your biological union that you're just now learning about. Such a discovery, it would make you feel changed kind of in an instant. And once discovered, it would just begin to have massive implications of how you view yourself. And here in this text that we just read in Ephesians, Paul, he wants us to know the implications of our union with Christ because us, like the saints in Ephesus, we're prone to forget even, and we need reminding. That's true for saints who have known some of these truths for some time now. Maybe they've been walking with the Lord for quite a while. It's also true for those who are coming to believe them with greater sharpness. Both of them need, need to be reminded of these implications because they are hugely life-impacting. So let's just dive in. What are the implications that Paul wants us to consider? The first one. We should rejoice because we have been saved. That's verse 5. Verse 5, he says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And he begins to kind of draw out this reality for us. He says, look, there, there's the past reality, and then there's the present reality. The past reality, he, he kind of enumerates in verses 1 through 4. You remember what I read. The, the synopsis of it was, we were dead in sins. We were unknowingly following Satan. The situation was very bad. We were dead spiritually. We were kind of the definition of the walking dead. And in that state, we were enslaved to the world and the passions of the flesh. Pleasing God just simply, it wasn't on our radar. We could not earn God's favor. There was nothing in our power to make ourselves either alive or more acceptable to him. And some of you may be new to Christianity. Some of you may be thinking, you know, I, I don't have a relationship with God, or at least not like my Christian friends do. And that does, but that just doesn't seem like the reality to me. But there are realities that are set in place all around us that we don't fully perceive or fully grasp. You take gravity, for example. 
yes, we know it exists and it conditions our existence every single day, but I'll be honest with you, I can't really describe scientifically how it works. And I bet you probably can't either unless that's your field of study. In other words, my understanding, it doesn't necessarily match reality. And so it is with much of the world and with us who are in or are in this past reality. But for those who are in Christ, they're not in that past reality. They're in the present reality that Paul begins to explain in verse four and, and moving forward. It's the verse four is kind of the turning point of this passage, as many of you know. But God, God himself stepped in. He acted according to his merciful character, and he gave new life. The present reality that we who are in Christ find ourselves in is that God has saved us purely by his grace, motivated by mercy and love, and a desire to glorify himself. Through the death of his son on the cross, as our substitute, he saved us. Salvation is 100% him. Or in the words of Jonah, salvation belongs to the Lord. You and I couldn't save ourselves, and yet God came to the rescue and made us alive. Well, how important is it to consider ourselves saved in the past tense like this? Because after all, this is the tense that Paul is using here. I think it's absolutely huge. We were not designed to constantly wonder how we stand before God. You know, later um, in the New Testament, the Apostle John, he'll echo the same reality in 1 John 5.13, where he writes, Look, these things I have written to you who believe, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm, I'm concerned that you know that you have it. And he writes a whole letter to help them see that. So the Apostle Paul and other New Testament and even Old Testament writers for that matter, they lead us to rejoice because we have been saved for in Christ. Who needs to hear this? No doubt there are those in our churches who are defined by the past people who have perhaps attended church for years and gone through some of the religious cycles but maybe are still spiritually dead in heart. These people are still operating out of a type of works mentality, basing their confidence of their salvation on their performance of either meeting or not meeting God's standards as they perceive it. So when they read their Bible and act morally, maybe they feel that God loves them. But their eyes really haven't been open to seeing grace on display. They haven't been made alive yet. And this can be, this can be the case um, even when they have sat under faithful gospel preaching, it's just a matter of the, the grace of God to dawn on their hearts through the work of the Spirit uh, so that they can perceive it. And so we pray to the Lord that he would do only what he can do and, and move someone out of this past reality into the present reality. But it's not just those who are under this past reality that maybe need to to think about that, it's who else needs to hear this? I think of those who have experienced the present reality. Those who have a, a burden for their family members to know the Lord. And they even seek to intentionally share Christ with them. But maybe they begin to doubt God's power. Can he really overcome my dad's stubborn heart and rebellion? Are my siblings too far gone? Are my parents or grandparents too stuck in their ways? 
Are they too blinded to be saved and made alive by Christ himself? You know, myself, even as a, even as a minister, I'm prone to doubt the power of God working in the life of my father-in-law. And it's a sobering and encouraging reminder to me that God does bring people from death to life in an instant all the time. He's done it for everyone who is a saint. He's done it for me and he's done it for all who make up his church. And it's not because of our prior goodness. So we who have experienced this present reality, we should rejoice that our salvation and trust in God uh, and restore our salvation and trust in God who has loved us and who has done this great work for us. Who else needs to hear this? I think of the genuine believer who loves Jesus, who, um, as it applies to their sanctification process, Satan comes along and he gets on our case over a sin pattern that we've fallen prey to. Maybe we feel distant from God. Maybe we need to repent and recognize that, hey, God has, in fact, united us to Christ, and you are saved, and you should consider it. When you fall prey to the sinful pattern that has maybe been an ongoing struggle for years and you begin to think, there's just no way that I'm right with God, no way that I'm saved, you should take a step back and rejoice that you're not saved by your goodness or even the quality of your repentance, but by the graciousness of Christ. And allow that grace and the love of Christ to flood your heart and even to change your desires so that you may walk as he intends you to walk. And just think kind of where we are situationally in this COVID-19 season with election madness around the corner. And the reality is that, you know, as, as we're evidencing by doing this online uh, Zoom service, which has been great, but we are largely isolated. We're probably more inundated with negative messages of doom and gloom that has caused fear and worry and anxiety. Uh, and it's always healthy to just to pause and to gaze at Jesus for a long while, to dwell on his great saving love for you and allow yourself to rejoice in your salvation. Though everything seems crazy and unsure right now in the world, in politics, in America, Jesus is sure and we should gaze at him. So all that say, we, we should rejoice that we are saved. But the Apostle Paul moves, moves beyond that, and he says, look, you should not just rejoice that you're saved. You should also realize that you've been raised. And that's verse 6. It says, and, and God raised us up with him. This is just another dimension to our union with Christ. Paul uses similar language in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. There he says, Look, we were, we were buried with him in baptism, in death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. See, being united to Christ means that just as Jesus died for sin, we died to sin. Just as Jesus was raised bodily from the grave, we are raised spiritually in him. He goes on later in that chapter to say, hey, look, you need to consider yourself raised victorious in him. Consider yourself raised. That's reality. And this can be true that we have this status of being raised in Christ already, and yet we can live as if it is not true. Sin and death, they just simply do not have a hold on you and I 
who are in Christ. Sure, sin can be enticing, and sure it gets us, but it doesn't have the power that it used to because we are raised through the working of Christ. The apostle is clear here in speaking of a, of a spiritual raising. He's already said in this great book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, he's already said, the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And it's every spiritual resource, not necessarily later, but even now. It's ours now. We have been given resurrection power to live into our new creation status. In the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he dwells in us. So though our, our earthly lives, they may feel have us feeling beat down, depressed, defeated at times, we have, we have need to be reminded that uh, because of our implication, the implication of being united in Christ, that we are raised. And through the eyes of faith, we realize that we are raised spiritually now, and one day we will be bodily raised in glory. Some of you are uh, NFL fans, and you may recognize the name Steve Gleason. Steve is uh, the former New Orleans Saints player who is best known for blocking an Atlanta Falcons punt that resulted in the first touchdown during the first game in the New Orleans Superdome after Hurricane Katrina came through in 2005. It was, that play was a very momentous moment for that whole city. And but soon after, Steve was diagnosed with ALS at the age of 34. It left him completely paralyzed rather with innumerable hardships. In his struggles, he speaks through a speech generation device and he speaks of his faith quite, quite often. He, he said, look, in the beginning stages, I, I certainly prayed to be healed. Uh, and while I would love to walk and talk again, their creator can choose to heal me or not. And he has heard people over the years um, comment on his situation. And they say things like, you know, his story is such a sad and tragic story. To which he replies, it is sad, but it's not all that sad. I believe there's more in my future than in my past. I personally, I don't know the condition of Steve Gleason's heart or what his faith is resting in. But if it is, in fact, resting in Jesus Christ, then that is true. That's a true statement that he does have more to look forward to in his future and that it is not all that sad at this moment. If united to Christ, he will be bodily raised in glory, even as he has been spiritually raised now. And so should all of us think who are well aware of our own frailties and conditions in such a fallen world that we find ourselves in right now. So realize you've been raised. The Apostle Paul, he says, look, yes, rejoice that you've been saved, realize that you've been raised, but he says you should also rest because you have been seated. Rest because you've been seated. Verse 6, the tail end of it, he says, and, and, Christ, and God has seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. And we began to think, you know, that just, that just kind of sounds so ethereal and so, 
pie in the sky uh, type language that the apostles use. And after all, I, I'm seated right here in my living room or in my basement, or I'm, I'm watching this on my computer or TV. I, I know exactly where I'm seated. And he says, yes, it's, it's true. You're physically seated here in those, in those locations. But he said, it's also true that you're seated in heavenly places. And we just think, man, why does God, why does Paul even want us to think that way? And then he just says, Hey, look, it's because that's where Jesus is. Jesus is at the right hand of God, and you and I are so spiritually united to him, it's as if we are there as well. In a sense, we are there as well. And he says, look, this is a mysterious spiritual reality that Paul says, embrace it. You should think this way. This is gospel way of thinking. This is how he says it, and Paul says it in Colossians 3 which was read, I believe, by Brian earlier in the service. Here it is again. If then you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, because he's seated at the right hand of God. Then he says, why? For you have died because you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. It's just kind of this mentality, you know, sometimes you, um, you, you, you hear the statement, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And the Apostle Paul just everywhere in the New Testament just trashes that mentality and says that you know, that's just some kind of worldly nugget of wisdom. He says, hey, look, if you want to be um, touched down properly and how you're living your life on the day to day, you need to be heavenly minded. You need to be dwelling on these um, huge life impacting uh, spiritual realities that Christ has done on your behalf and uniting you to him. And this is what he says, look, you're so united that he can be said to be your life. It's as if he's saying, hey, look up with the eyes of faith, see Jesus, see ourselves with him, hidden in him, and then lean into that reality day in and day out. Again, Paul, he wants us to think on this glorious union with Jesus and to let it produce rest, resting your souls. He says in Romans 8, look, we are so united to Christ that he was sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul says, look, we're so inseparable from Jesus, and Jesus himself is our rest. We go back to the words of Christ in the Gospels. Think of this, Matthew 11, 28, and 29. Jesus gives the, um, gives the command, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <clears throat> Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and, low, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I just ask you, as, um, as believers there situated in Champaign at All Souls, are, are you learning to abide in him? Are you learning to rest in him? If not you will grow weary and you'll grow weary even of doing good. 
the world around us, it's at a fever pitch. There's lots of loud noises going on. We are constantly connected in this technologically saturated world. And that makes us busy and inundated with many messages that don't necessarily lead us to rest in Christ. And over time, it begins to make us grow weary. And we need to heed again, Jesus' call to come and rest. He provides a rest that the world cannot either give nor understand. And I just appeal to you, maybe you've been kind of looking into Christianity, maybe you've given it, you know, you've been invited to come along and, and participate in some of these services, or you're in a Bible study and you're investigating the claims of Christ and the central message of the Bible, and you're you're kind of trying to put the pieces together of your spiritual worldview and all these things. I I want I want to encourage you to embrace Christ by faith. And as the Apostle Peter exhorts, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But us, for us as, as saints, we need to consider ourselves seated. There is finality to this. It's, it's done. It's guaranteed. It's a paradox. Paradoxically, Paul says it's already taken place, and yet we're not in glory yet living it in its fullest experience. But it is true now. We view it with the eyes of faith now, but one day we will have full sight that Jesus has got us and we can rest in him. You know, a while back I was finishing out my seminary degree and uh, was doing some studying through, through church history and spent some time reflecting on the great early church theologian, St. Augustine. And as many of you know, Augustine's conversion, it was a radical one. He struggled much of his life with sexual addiction and hedonistic lifestyle, and yet all the while had a sweet mother who never gave up on him, who continued to patiently pray for him and bear with him. He finally came to Christ in his 30s as the, the truth of the gospel of God's grace exploded on his heart. And later, you know, he, pre he produced some of the best things uh, that we still hold on to today. Many doctrinal formulations were formed by him as he was representing the gospel message and the scriptures well in many ways. And he's famous along the way for quoting this. He said, look, the heart is restless until it finds rest in him. And I just think if, if we're thinking rightly about what Christ has done, and uniting his life to ours, it ought to produce a sense of rest. He's seated at the right hand of God. We're seated in heavenly places as well. It's beyond our doing, and we're safe in him. We can rest in Christ. So saints of all souls, I, in the midst of this hard year of 2020, dealing with isolation and Violence in the streets, emotional heartbreak, uh, maybe loss of income, maybe your retirement money has diminished, uh, and innumerable other hardships that have come about. Um, I want to challenge us to rediscover again our union with Christ and the paradigm-shifting implications that it has for us, because all too often we, we're stuck in the here and the now, 
in our circumstances and we don't set our minds on the things above and these implications that are drastically life-changing. The reality is that in him, we have been saved, we have been raised, and we have been seated. And I encourage us to live into that reality with a gratitude for the one who has done it all for us. Christ has done it all. Let's live into that reality that we now find ourselves in. To even give us encouragement and power to go through our nine to fives, to go through our daily walk this week. Let's pray. Father, would you, would you work these union with Christ realities into our hearts and our minds? We ask that it would impact our joy, our assurance, our hope. Would you help us to truly rejoice in our salvation that you have brought our way, that you have done apart from any goodness that we have, that we would realize that we truly are raised. We're raised uh, victorious spiritually in Christ, and we can live in light of that. And that would you help us to realize that we could also rest. We can rest, um, God, because we are even mysteriously seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. May this not feel <clears throat> ultra ethereal and so intangible, but would it have practical um, outworkings in our day-to-day -day life? Would we think in gospel-centered ways about what you've done in uniting us uh, to your son and the eternal consequences of that and for us to live faithfully even now in light of it? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.